for us and what we try to pay more attention to these days is not necessarily um, the number of people or the number of engagement uh, that you're getting with content, but the quality of it and the relevance of it. Adam Brown, I love that advice from this week's guest, Jason Keith of Social Fresh, that it's not about numbers, it's about quality. And I think social media professionals inherently know that to be true, but boy, it's hard to toe the line on that sometimes when, you're, when your boss or your boss's boss or your boss's boss's boss is saying, well, how many followers do we have and how come we don't have as many as our competitors? It it is it is a challenge, Jay. You're you're exactly right, and and Jason articulates it uh, here. We're all been in the situation where we 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 have uh, superiors who are telling us to increase a certain number, and it's always back to that quality versus quantity. But uh, what Jason articulates here uh, with his tale of two tweets, I think, is a perfect case study uh, and reminder to all of us to make sure we're all going after the true north star. Fun episode. Jason is back on the show. He's been on the podcast in the past. He's the founder of the Social Fresh Conference. Uh, listen closely. We'll give you a discount code uh, to attend the conference, which will be virtual in June. Also, listen to the end of the show for sure this week because Jason's tip for becoming a social pro is gold. A little tease on that at around minute, uh, I don't know, 42, 43, something like that. It is gold. Tune in for that as well. Also this week, some gold from our friends at Salesforce, sponsor of the program. I want you to download this report probably this week because we're going to switch it out to the next report uh, really soon. It's the sixth edition of the State of Marketing Report, whereby Salesforce uh, talked to 7,000, 7,000 marketing leaders from across the globe to find out what's on their mind. The results of this report are foundational. You'll, so, you'll see people quoting it all the time because it is such good research, super high quality, won't cost you anything. Download it now. Go to bit.ly slash new marketing report. That's B-I-T dot ly slash new marketing report and that my friends is all lower case also this week the show brought to you by our new sponsor upfluence of course one of the things that everybody talks about on this podcast and beyond in the social world is influencer marketing we trust people more than we trust brands that's kind of foundationally true as well Upfluence has their own really interesting report that I think you should download. It's called the Brand Influence Ranking Report. It's terrific. You'll get exclusive insights into the social performance of some of the biggest brands and uncover their influencer marketing strategy with real data on top performing influencers and social content. Useful, useful stuff. It's a must read. Go to bit.ly slash brand influence ranking. That's B-I-T, B-I-T dot L-Y slash brand influence ranking also all lowercase and lastly the show brought to you by our good friends at accessibility who helped my site convincingconvert.com become substantially more accessible to people with visual impairment hearing impairment etc in just 48 hours accessibility is the easiest and best way to make your website available to just about everybody it's really inexpensive as well and quick which is amazing not a lot of hassle don't need to get it involved which is a win to find out what Accessibility can do for your site to make it more accessible, it's super easy, won't cost you a thing, go to this special tool that they built, kind of a configurator. It's at bit.ly slash webaccess2020. B-I-T dot L-Y slash webaccess2020, all lowercase. And now let's hear from Mr. Jason Keith, founder of Social Fresh, right here on the Social Pros Podcast. 
Ladies and gentlemen, he is back on Social Pros, the empresario behind the Social Fresh series of conferences, website, Instagram advice and counsel. You can't see him right now, but he looks a little bit um, almost like, I have to say, Romanian. He's got an amazing kind of quarantine hair thing going on that I haven't seen in a while. It Thick, is the rich, one lustrous. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is thick, and it's like a shampoo commercial, ladies and gentlemen. It is Jason Keith. Jason Keith back on the show. Mr. Keith, how are you? Doing great, thank you. Uh, thanks for noticing my new hairdo. I appreciate that. I, uh, you know, the one the one scare I had during the pandemic of COVID was going to get my hair cut. So after that, I just swore it off and said, "Let's let it grow." It's funny you say that in my keynotes that I do now about customer experience, I use that example of when I went to get a haircut for the first time. And, you know, I'm a 51-year-old man. I've had like 600 haircuts. I, I thought I knew how the haircut game worked. And it turns out not anymore, yeah. not during COVID. There's all kinds of uncertainty just to get haircuts, much less uh, how to figure out what conference to attend, et cetera. Speaking of which, tell the Social Pros listeners when the next edition of the remarkable Social Fresh Conference is yeah so we did two virtual conferences in 2020 and uh this year 2021 we are doing our next virtual conference uh june 16th to 18th um and we'll have a special early bird rate for social pro listeners anyone that wants to get more information about the conference can check out socialfresh.com pro that's pro and um i'm really excited we're talking speakers right now i'm interviewing a bunch of speakers to onboard and do the do the kind of uh content planning for the event and we've learned a lot about virtual events over the last year so it's it's exciting to iterate in a new way we'll talk about that a little bit in this episode jason um what most people don't know is the second episode of this podcast yeah. ever in January 2012 was actually recorded live at Social Fresh, uh, one of the very first editions of the conference uh, live in Florida. And, and so you've been doing this conference maybe a slightly longer than we've been recording this podcast, which is a long ass time. So talk about how did you get into this business and and why do you keep doing it? Because people always say uh, the, the, the best way to send yourself to an early grave is to run conferences and events. But yet here you are. <laughs> continuing to, to especially to especially after work. 2020 how can you keep yeah especially in a pandemic good point um i started planning my first social fresh conference in 2008 and uh started working in social media you know a couple years before that uh, before we even used the word social media on a regular basis i think and um you know it's changed a lot but it's still something i'm very passionate about it's it's the it's the combination of a lot of things I've always cared about, which you know, you have content creation and design and writing, um, and you also have the innovation and the just pushing different industries and business forward constantly. Um, so all of that is a is our passion points for me, and I think that keeps me interested. And um, events are fun, you know. It's it's one the reason I did the first one as a you know we needed this. People wanted to invest in social media, but they didn't really want to put the money there wasn't a, there was a trust gap right people were interested but didn't want to put real budget behind it so i was like all right let's educate them let's do an event i had done a couple of events for the blogging world before that and um 
the first one was so much more fulfilling than the, the other work I was doing at the time, which was consulting and agency life. And uh, so I just ran with it and it's still fulfilling. You know, people start companies, people find jobs, people have gotten engaged at our events. People have, uh, you know, met lifelong friends and obviously learned a lot about how social media can work for their business. So that continues to be the case. And even though we're doing them virtually now, I think we'll, we'll be back to uh, IRL conferences very soon, which I'm excited about. As am I, somebody who used to do lots of conferences and now uh, lots of virtual events. I will say, before we get uh, farther into it, Social Pros listeners, if you have not attended a Social Fresh event, I cannot recommend it highly enough uh, for you. If you are a medium-sized to large um, organization, as so many of our listeners are, Adam, this is the single best conference you could attend, in my estimation, anywhere in the world. If you think, what is sort of the event version of this podcast? It is Social Fresh. Full <laughs> stop. Period. That's it. It, <laughs> is, like it. it is. It's literally this podcast, but in a conference format. It's the same kind of speakers. It's the same kind of um, thinking around change management and transformation and strategy. Um, it, you know, you're not going to get a lot of very specific, you know, here's how to write a headline on whatever kind of content at, at Social Fresh. It's, it's bigger than that. And as we try to do here on the show. So I think what Jason and team have been able to create over the last decade or so is is really special and, and remarkable. And I've really enjoyed it and learned a lot myself. Yeah, thank you. I, and, you know, the key to that is just listening to the people that attend the conferences. And we have amazing companies that attend every year. And we listen to what you know would help them the most, and we keep iterating every year. And I, I tell you, the really funny thing that happened to us in the last year or two is we started getting a lot more uh, Midwest uh, companies attending. I, I think because we started investing more in Google Ads, which allowed us to reach a new audience. And now our number one uh, most attended state to social first conferences is North Dakota. Which we have a well, the social fresh conference is typically in Florida, so can confirm that big, big <laughs> appeal there, yeah, for the weather. <laughs> yeah. It's a big win. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that the North Dakota social media community was so uh, robust. You, you probably yeah, you're getting people. them all. We learned something here today. You get all of them come. They come in a bus. It's uh, it's like going to a fish concert. It's incredible. Well, you um, know, I love Fargo, so it's it's. Uh, I love Fargo too. Fargo is one of the most underrated cities in this country. Uh, yeah, it is it is a cool cool town. Actually, uh, I really enjoy it. I spent a lot of time in in Fargo. Well, you talked a, a moment ago, Jason, about about moving to virtual and and so many meeting planners and event organizers have have had to walk that tightrope, and a tightrope it is. Talk a little bit about how it's changed, um, how you select speakers, how you uh, create content experiences. And, and then I know we want to talk a little bit uh, during the show about how it's changed, how you market the show. You mentioned Google ads, but would love to know how it's changed your, your social as well. Yeah. So, I mean, speaker selection, I'd say this, uh, the ability to get speakers and to reach out to them has been different. But the type of speakers we go after is pretty much the same. You know, we, we are always going after people that are getting their hands dirty, working in social media, whether it's very tactically or people running as directors or VPs and marketing teams, running the social media teams. Um, and we're always looking for those real life case studies and diving deep into a topic with them. That's always been the same. But there's certain people we can get more than we used to be able to because they couldn't travel. Maybe uh, there's a few speakers that are on the West Coast that had a hard, a hard time traveling out to Florida and making that work. And now... 
um, we can get those speakers. And also there's people that we just can't get now because they're too busy because of COVID or now, you know, they've got, you know, more family commitments going on. Uh, so that's an issue. But I think the main thing is it's changed the event experience uh, to a large degree. Now, instead of uh, doing venue recon, we do platform recon to figure out what platform is the right uh, venue space for the experience. And we talk a lot more about trying to get the networking piece right. I think we figured out how to get the uh, presentations uh, dialed in. We do some pre-recorded content with live Q&A. Uh, we do a lot more panel and discussion content because that works better on live than uh, solo presentations do, in my opinion, although we do have a lot of solo presentations that are valuable for people. Um, and we build in networking in a completely different way. Um, so we've we've tried to invest in that and keep learning and listen to people and see what they want. And I tell you what, what people wanted eight, nine, 12 months ago is also different today uh, to what they want today. So we're you know uh, evolving with the changing landscape of, of the world we live in right now. Jason, great to have you on Social Pros again, founder of Social Fresh. And I want to I want to take what you just said and, 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 and kind of expand it a little bit. Two things going on here. One, you have now been doing Social Fresh for nearly a decade. So I would assume when people were first coming to your first conferences, their needs of what they wanted to learn, what they wanted to interact with was very different than, than today. And then second, because this is virtual, as you said, people's needs are a little bit different. Uh, I'm curious what today's participant at Social Fresh looks like and what to, to your what you just said, what are their expectations of what they're trying to learn? Is it more strategic and less tactical? Is it is it more about case studies or is it more like you said about the networking and understanding what people just like them are doing in dealing with this challenging uh, environment that we're in and you know and challenging and changing space we're in as social pros? Yeah, I think half of it is people looking for new ideas, looking for new tactics, looking for new ways to think about their overall strategy. I'd say it's pretty evenly split between the very tactical, getting your hands dirty, uh, publishing side of social media, response side of social media, and half strategic planning, um, the you know the internal process side, how you're building your team, how you're planning your content calendar, how you're you know executing on mental health and recruiting new talent, things like that. Um, and we try to we try to play to all those needs. Um, how it's changed over the last tw almost 12 years. You know, I, I think the first few conferences, we talked a lot about Facebook and how Facebook integrated with a lot of other marketing channels. And these days, um, you know, outside of maybe some Facebook ads touch points or Facebook groups in a community conversation, I'd say Facebook is rarely the point of discussion at most of our sessions, right? It's all Instagram and uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and Snapchat and TikTok, et cetera. Um, probably Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces this year. Um, and I think for me, it's finding out, you know, people are typically looking for, I need to solve this problem. So I need to find out what are those most common problems. And that changes every six months. And it's also, um, you know, I need to check these assumptions. I think I'm doing everything right, but I really want to, you know, check my assumptions, make sure I'm staying up with the industry and all the advances in the industry and all the trends. And I also just want to get a few new ideas and connect with people that do my job on a daily basis. A lot of social media managers, which is the majority of our attendees, are solo teams, right? They're one person. Um, so it's, it's important for them to have uh, spaces where they can connect with people that do what they do. Because the event is virtual now, uh, temporarily, 
Are, are you able to recruit speakers and or promote on a different timeline? So you, you can get speakers closer to the deadline. You can promote closer to the deadline. Um, people are probably not buying tickets far as far in advance because they're not having to book a flight and get a hotel and those kind of things. And the reason I ask that is I've certainly seen in my business as a speaker, um, event requests come much closer to the actual event date, right? I used to know six months in advance everything I was doing, and now it's 30 days in advance, which creates no small amount of panic uh, from a revenue standpoint. But it's also great because you can keep your content really, really fresh, social fresh. So are you allowed to then pick topics and, and sort of manipulate the content of the event closer to the event itself because of the nature of virtual and then say, well, geez, you, you mentioned Clubhouse. Um, you know, depending on when the event was, you might even be able to get Clubhouse on the agenda, and now you can. Yeah, so our first virtual conference was in June of last year, and we started planning it about five weeks before the date started. Um, and we had, you know, we did a free level there just because there was a huge need to help businesses kind of adapt. Uh, it's the first time we've ever had that, um, so they could see their keynotes. And we had, you know, over a thousand people sign up for that event. We had I think 40 speakers and we booked most of those speakers in probably like a 10 day period where that's all I was doing is just booking speakers and, and onboarding folks. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, I, I don't want to plan another event in five week period and I plan not planning to, but uh, <laughs> sometimes, you know, you are able to make things happen pretty quickly. Um, and I, I think it does allow us to, I think we're always timely. Like even when we have a speaker that's been planning their presentation for six to nine months, um, you know, back in pre-COVID days, um, if two months out, one month out, uh, something changed, we would change their presentation. So I think that helps. Um, and we also have brought in speakers last minute to cover important topics. So I, I think there's a there's a piece of that where we can we can definitely uh, talk to people more last minute. People are definitely buying tickets much 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 more last minute. I think 80% of our attendees would typically have their tickets already two months out of a of a regular in person event. Um, and I think maybe 80% of our tickets today would sell, will probably sell in the last 30 days or less. Um, so it's, it's definitely a different world. I think, um, you know, the content is largely the same. Our audience is largely the same, but we have some people, you also have some people that just don't want to go to a virtual conference and you have some people that never were able to attend an in-person conference and are loving that they have a virtual conference. You know, we have right. a lot more people from Australia all of a sudden that can attend our events. Right. Um, so I think there's, there's a bunch there's of, a of people from Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a different world, exactly, Jason. Um, and the entire industry of events has has transformed. You've noted how you're transforming and doing things differently from a production standpoint, from a logistics standpoint. I know at Salesforce, obviously Dreamforce uh, this past year completely changed uh, from having a couple hundred thousand people in San Francisco to many other people uh, watching and dialing in. My question for you is this. All of us are dealing with doing things probably at a much, much smaller scale than you're doing with Social Fresh as it relates to events, even as it relates to just dealing and reconciling Zoom fatigue. Do you have any tips for someone who's just trying to get a half a dozen or a dozen or two dozen people together as part of one of the many hats they wear as a social pro? Anything that you've learned that can make virtual types of events stronger? Yeah, um, I think one thing is you're not going to replicate the 
you know, what I call the hallway conversations, the kind of magical moments of a conference, you just can't do it. You can't replicate that exact thing. And, and I think a lot of people have tried, you know, we've offered a lot of one-on-one speed round, speed networking for the virtual events. And the one thing I've seen there is there's maybe like a 10 to 20% uptake on that. Like a lot of the people just are not interested in that. Maybe that's like a higher pressure video situation they don't want to get into. Um, and, you know, we've done different networking, video networking events, video happy hours. Um, the one thing that worked really well, we had kind of a subset of people at one of our events, uh, maybe 40 folks on a, on a Zoom, mostly on video. And I, I think it's important in that situation, you could probably go up to like 40 or 50 people in that situation on the highest end. And that's if they have something in common, they need to have some type of connection point. So maybe it's like an industry or a department in your company or whatever the touch point is. And then doing something fun that maybe intros into a more substantive networking or, or professional conversation. So one thing that we did that worked really well was a, um, a uh, scavenger hunt. So it's, you know, at home scavenger hunt, everybody's looking for the same item. It's like everybody <laughs> find a blue shoe. So everybody gets up from their desk or wherever they are and goes and finds a blue shoe. Or we did a lot of fun social media things. Um, like one of the things we had was just something with a social network logo on it. And literally no one had to leave their desk. Everyone on the, on the chat had something <laughs> close to their body. Um, yeah. Uh, My so we had a year old is that. actually doing that right now in, uh, in, in, in his fourth grade uh, asynchronous uh, homeschool. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I love that. And there's a lot of games like that. You know, there's trivia and different things you can do with that. I think you can experiment with and just make it simple. Make it, you know, that that's probably the extent of something that you can actually have someone do is go and find something in wherever, whatever location they are. Um, but also, uh, don't be afraid of things that are only available online that would not be great networking options for an in-person event, but actually work kind of well uh, for digital. So the number one thing is a live chat. A live chat is actually a really great community building networking tool uh, for virtual events. Uh, You look at Twitch, Twitch is the best example of this where the live chat is like this massive community element of every live streamer on that platform. Um, And they've done a lot of technology innovation in that space where you can subscribe and you can buy different upgrades and goodies for different channels. And there's a lot of customization and culture built into it. But even just, we use Hopin for our conferences, uh, which is a live conference platform. Uh, Really great. I highly recommend it. It's got an affordable level for smaller events um, and a really robust enterprise level for um, larger companies. And they have a great live chat. They just integrated with StreamYard, which is what we used for our conference. So that's nice that the two tools that we use are are now uh, one company. And um, StreamYard has a great tool where they allow you to bring in comments from, say, a Facebook Live or a Twitter Live or, or Instagram Live, uh, and you can actually put them on screen really quickly. Um, so those types of integrations where you have things that you can integrate an audience without them actually getting on video, I think are really helpful. Hopin also has the ability to click on someone, see their LinkedIn profile, see their name, do a private chat with them. So that's great for actual real networking as well. Uh, so I think that's a great tool. And then I would, I would add, <clears throat> you know, uh, the... The ability to um, be interactive is very important. So planning a keynote where it's all based on the deck can be useful. Some of our sessions are going to be based around that, but there should be some type of interactive element, whether it's just a live Q&A at the end or you're stopping and taking questions or uh, you're building you know, a whole live discussion that's just based on live feedback from your audience. I think uh the interactive piece of it is really important for these, even in a networking situation. It just, you can't have the whole thing planned and wrote. It has to be uh, more spontaneous to keep people kind of invigorated. 
I'm the host for a uh, very large event coming up around the outdoors industry. Uh, and as the MC, we're playing Guess This Fish. So if you want to borrow that for Social Fresh, feel, feel free I love that. to play Guess This Fish. Uh, and uh, don't forget, friends, go to socialfresh.com slash pro. That's socialfresh.com slash pro to learn how you can get hooked up for the next Social Fresh conference, which is June 16th through 18th on your own browser, ladies and gentlemen. In addition to the work that you do at the conference, uh, you and your team have recently uh, put out a series of Instagram templates, which have done really, really well. Talk a little bit about the Instagram templates project, why you did it, uh, how people in our community can access them, et cetera. Yeah, so we were we were refreshing our Instagram uh, for Social Fresh, which has always been kind of just our conference photos um, that seem to work uh, well enough for us. And we honestly are a company that started on Twitter, so we Instagram was never really at the top of our list. Uh, you know, the cobbler, the cobbler with no shoes type of situation. So we really wanted to put some uh, some fresh paint on our Instagram account. So we started really doing what we do for clients and building out a strategy. And we typically for consulting clients that we do audits for, we walk them through this whole process of making sure they have templates and something that can allow them to create content more quickly that works based on the trends of things that work on Instagram. Um, so after we refreshed our account and it was, we, you know, we're up over 300% engagement, we are up a thousand percent on our reach on Instagram. Uh, we decided to roll out a lot of those templates that we used as a really uh, lower, low price product. It's like 30 bucks. You can get over 100 Instagram templates. And it's things like, you know, if you want to re- recreate a, on an iPhone text thread, uh, we give you the tools for that. If you want to recreate um, something that looks like the note stock on your phone, uh, I can show you how to do that. Instagram polls, um, memes and quotes and uh, all kinds of things that are really working well. Tweets work really well on um, Instagram screenshots of tweets, but we we give you templates that let you do that in a much more brandable, designed, and, and refined way. Um, and those are, in fact, our number one piece of content is a certain type of uh, a tweet that we grab. Uh, Isn't it hilarious though? Don't don't as as an OG like Adam and I, don't you find that patently hilarious that that taking content from one platform, screenshotting it, and putting it in another platform is your best type of content? <laughs> it's you know, I think it's a it's a testament to the format that Twitter innovated early on, which is short copy. And when you think about that, you know, you're not grabbing just any tweet. You're literally curating the top thing that you found on Twitter that week or something you bookmarked a month ago. Right. Or something that you wrote specifically uh, to bring over to Instagram because you knew it would it would work well. And I think um, it's kind of a curation process. It's really interesting. And there's a certain authority that comes along that people don't screenshot something. Twitter or otherwise, and then put it on another social network unless it's like that top 1% that they found when they were browsing, right? It's implied Uh, endorsement, yeah. Yeah, and people recognize the Twitter format. Twitter is a really well, you know, lovely designed app, and they recognize what a tweet looks like, and there's all kinds of little reasons why that works. Um, And yeah, I love it. It's bizarre, and it's funny, and it's it's easy to make fun of both Instagram and Twitter for it. Uh, But, you know, it, it definitely works well. I think you have to have a strategy around it um, for what type of content you're doing that with. But uh, I think it's a, it's a great strategy that has been working on Instagram for years now. Jason, that's something I hadn't ever thought about until this this moment. You know, you, you see all the uh, eye uh, studies where it shows how an eye looks at a web page and they, they automatically know what a skyscraper and an ad banner at the top looks like and they 
immediately ignore it because of that, because they know that that taxonomy, they know that syntax. But you're exactly right. We see a hero shot with some 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 type uh, and a sans serif font just below it, and we know immediately that that's a tweet. Um, so it's you're you're very interesting. That's a very interesting point. To that end, I have a, a question for you. I know one of the you know, subsets of, of customers that you have for these templates and even for your conferences are agencies. And I think you're in a unique position to uh, to answer this question. I'm curious, you know, with agents being a decent part of your attendance, and again, use user of your of your templates and other services and audits. How, from your perspective, are agencies adjusting to the past year to the new normal? Are you seeing any fundamental shifts in the services they're offering? How they they offer them to their customers? What what is your perspective on the marketing agency in 2021? Yeah, you know, I've seen a lot of things. It, it's, I think it's a lot of pivoting. And I know that's not like a, a super informed answer, but um, I've seen agencies that are focused on nonprofits do really well because all of a sudden people need an agency that can work with a small budget and produce magic, right? Um, I've seen agencies pivot to a completely new type of customer because that customer has budget and their old customers don't anymore. Right. Um, I, and I think, you know, a lot of the agencies that come to our events and, and use some of the resources that we build are, are smaller agencies. So I'd say, you know, a hundred people or less, maybe most of them are probably 25 people or less. And I think those companies are typically pretty good at, at swinging into a new direction you know, picking up the direction of the wind and, and, uh, turning the boat. And, you know, I, I don't know for sure um, how many agencies have, have not been able to make that pivot because a, a lot of the companies that I've talked to are, I think, the success cases. But I'm sure uh, a lot of people are just now kind of recovering from frozen budgets and situations like that. Um, a lot of the uh, interesting campaigns and interesting, uh, you know, kind of adaptive content that I've seen come out where people are doing fun Zoom events, people are doing live streams in a new way, have come from small agencies that have just had to completely pivot their, their strategy and approach. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of great stories about that. And I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of talent within these, within these small groups of creatives. You're right in this, that this has been kind of a forcing function for, uh, for creativity and, and thinking in new and innovative, innovative ways. I know one of the things you shared with us right before the, um, the show was your tale of two tweets, speaking of very clever oh, yeah. type of content and the idea of how you're measuring success could be very, very different. Could you share the, the tale of your, your two tweets? I know K-pop was involved in, uh, in one of them. <laughs> yeah. So there's a K-pop uh, group called Blackpink that had a big um, viral moment early last year in the beginning of the pandemic where it was just like, um, one of their singers, the female group, um, had a photo shoot come out, or I think it might have been a dance video, a music video that came out. And um, they were taking these photos of her and breaking them in half and putting like half of one photo as some type of celebrity and half as the actual Blackpink uh, singer. Um, so it was just a funny kind of lark thing. And, and we wanted to do that um, just, you know, we're, we try to like, you know, stay timely with our content. And Twitter is a great place to experiment with that, with different memes and trends that are going viral. Um, as you know, as an example to other marketers that are looking to do stuff like that. So obviously social fresh is brand color is orange. So I was like, what orange character can we do? And immediately Garfield came to mind. Uh, so that was a very funny juxtaposition that we had. And it just went, I mean, it's the number one tweet, number one piece of content we've ever produced. It was just thousands and thousands of comments and likes and retweets all around the world. 
Um, and we got, I think, 10 new followers on Twitter, which is not, which is, you know, okay. Um, it's, it's something, but it's not great. And the clear reason for that for me was, you know, uh, a K-pop meme is not necessarily very relevant for social media managers to know that we talk about social media. I mean, there's some context there, but not a ton. Uh, so then I compare it to another tweet we had to do really well last year, which was um, within one of our content pillars, which we call support, which is just trying to figure out ways to empathize with and support social media managers. Um, and we do these sometimes in kind of really empathy focused tweets. Um, and the one uh, that did really well um, was uh, just talking about the pain points of a social media manager. Uh, and it starts with uh, one of the things we recommend people have is prompts to generate good content. And one of the prompts that works really well as a meme on Twitter is, I don't know who needs to hear this, uh, but just talking about, you know, social media managers are undervalued, underfunded, uh, have a high stress job, and maybe just remember to say thank you to them and bring them a bottle of wine uh, occasionally. And that did pretty well. I mean, it, it's, I think, really successful for us, maybe like 30 retweets, uh, which for our account is, is pretty strong, not nearly as strong. It's maybe 1% of what we saw with the K-pop meme, uh, but we got 10 times the number of new followers from that one. So I think the lesson there is for us and what we try to pay more attention to these days it's not necessarily um, the number of people or the number of engagement uh, that you're getting with content, but the quality of it and the relevance of it. So those hundred followers were by and large, 90% of them social media managers, which is the exact audience we're trying to get in front of. Um, so, you know, spending 10 minutes on writing a compelling piece of copy for Twitter really helped us uh, reach a huge potential customer audience with that. And I think that's a great example of, you know, finding the, the pain point, putting the pain point in front of the customer in a way that they relate to it in a compelling way um, and seeing an immediate result from that, which is which is always the goal with social media, but you know, kind of not always how it works out, right? So uh, I think recognizing when that's actually happening for your exact target audience and when it, maybe it's happening just because you were funny and the rest of the internet is enjoying something that's funny but not really relevant for your business, that's an important dichotomy to figure out. And that's what I love about the Social Fresh community and the work that you're doing, Jason, is that you've been at this for quite a while, but still still learning new lessons. Um, that that being the case, what frustrates you now about the state of social? Well, I mean, I, I love the industry. I think today versus, you know, any other time in the last, you know, 15 years that I've been working in, in this space the negative impact of social networks on the world is, is more clear than it's ever been. So whether that's how it's affecting kids or how um, hate speech is amplified, uh, fake news, all these bad actors that exist on social networks seem to have more opportunity than they've ever had uh, before. And it just doesn't, I mean, I, we do quarterly state of the industry reports for a handful of our clients and I'm constantly tracking what I call platform health. And this started maybe about two years ago when Twitter and Facebook mainly started investing in trying to encourage better discussions, better conversations, more positive experiences for younger members on their sites. Um, and they've done a lot. They've done a lot of great work, but you can still see just the heavy negative um, influence that social networks have on the world to this day. And I don't think they've done enough. I don't think that they've fully reckoned with the impact that they have. And I think they need to, you know, do a, a much larger reset of maybe I mean, extreme things in my mind. I mean, not, you know, super extreme, but things that they probably wouldn't have considered before that they should think about is maybe certain uh, users 
can't be on social networks. Maybe users can't be on social media until they're 16. Maybe and maybe enforce that in a real way instead of just allowing people to pick a birthday. Uh, maybe you have to scan your ID like when you open a bank account and download one of their apps. If you, if you have an investment account, you have to scan your driver's license in order to open it. Maybe we have to do those social networks in some way or you know, you know, maybe it's just for some users that violate certain rules. I don't know what it is. And I think we're edging in that direction uh, to some of these things. But I think we need to put a little more fuel um, in that trajectory. It is something that I think we're all looking at. And I know I know Facebook and a couple of others, in some cases kind of controversial, are starting to to do that. We we got a quest uh in the uh, household for uh for the holidays and uh tried to uh not necessarily attach it to my personal Facebook account and very quickly got bounced off and then to get my account back in good standing, recognizing that I had a Facebook account. Back when you could only have a Facebook account when you had a .edu, I had to show my driver's license to get my uh, account reenacted. But uh, yeah. question kind of around that. You talk about uh, doing your health reports and your audits of the platforms themselves. One platform that we are talking so much about here on Social Pros and in general is Clubhouse. I'm curious if you could give us your quick 45-second pre-audit audit of Clubhouse. What would we be saying about Clubhouse if this was 2022? Uh, I think Clubhouse is going to have a lot of competition in 2022. Clearly, Twitter Spaces is coming on very fast. Uh, Facebook is bringing a competitor. And there's several other smaller apps uh, that I just wrote about in our newsletter recently um, that are doing the same thing. It's a feature. It's clearly a feature that can be copied somewhat easily. There's a lot of APIs they're using other people can use. Uh, but I think they've stumbled upon a new content format that is probably the number one way that anybody can become a creator. The easiest way without any hair and makeup, without any uh, fancy camera, fancy lighting. You don't have to have a nice, uh, beautiful bookshelf behind you like Jay does all the time. Um, you can just turn on a microphone wherever you are and, and connect with an instant community. Very similar to like a, a Twitch chat. And I think that's going to maintain itself as a format for, for a while. And I think they've innovated that space. Yeah, it kind of reminds me about how Twitter was when the three of us got started. Yeah. Right? Can you can you write something interesting and pithy in 140 characters? You don't need you don't need lighting, you don't need technology, you don't need anything. You don't need an editor. Uh you, you just do it. And and I think Clubhouse has really struck on that idea. It sort of boils thought leadership down to its essence. And I think you're right, Jason. The, the the mechanism of the application is is a feature, not a not a standalone. Um, certainly, they've got a first mover advantage and a network effect there that that will take a little time to dislodge. But we also thought that surely nobody could could do disappearing content like Snapchat, uh, and and now and now everything in the world has stories like yeah. like you well, know you go to the gas pumps, the gas pump stories. Like it's uh, yes, it's it's every everybody has is almost it's almost ridiculous. So well, uh, in the same way, in the same way, better, Snapchat, I don't know, audio works. Oh. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry to sorry to talk over you there, Jay. Um, the same you made me think of something, which is the, the same way that Snapchat really caused Instagram to innovate in real ways. I think Clubhouse is going to cause Twitter uh, to really change over the next couple of years. And you're, analogy. they're yeah. investing in this faster and more um, judiciously than I've ever seen them. They're building it in public. They're talking about things that I wish they would have been talking about for years, like improving their APIs and their live streaming and, and things like that. And I think I think. 
you know, I don't know. My, my prediction is that Twitter will win this war and then Clubhouse will probably stick around for a while. Um, I think Twitter's better prepared uh, for this. And Twitter's already the back channel of Clubhouse. You know, it's right. It's, right. You know, it's, it's already. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, think I'm it's going to cause Twitter, Twitter to innovate. I'm more bullish on Twitter in general than I have been in a long time. Yeah. Irrespective of, of Twitter spaces. Um, I just feel like they have a little bit of a clarity of purpose now that they were missing for a while. And, and their stock price in recent months um, bears that out. I think it's interesting. Uh, what would the world have been like if Adam Brown's company, Salesforce, had purchased Twitter when you had the, when you had the chance? When you had the chance, Adam. So many people. So many people could have. I blame Adam. They've had some down years, you know. Yeah, uh, but they're, they're on the, but they're, the, they're the fastest fastest growing social network for the last uh, eighteen months or more. Yeah, and who would have ever thought that? Yeah. Right, Tor- tortoise um, in the hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, more information and insights like this are available, friends, at the Social Fresh Conference, June 16th through 18th. Go to socialfresh.com slash pro, socialfresh.com slash pro to get your code. Uh, also, I highly recommend you subscribing uh, to the Social Fresh email newsletter and following Jason and team uh, in social, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and beyond. Jason, we're going to ask you the two questions we ask everybody here in the program, including you on your previous appearance. If you could give our audience one tip for people who are looking to become a social pro, what would you tell them? Besides attending our next virtual conference, um, I think the number one thing for me is to save great content. Uh, so, you know, I'm a creative. I went to art school. Uh, I am a reformed agency creative. And I think just even the best designers are just really great at saving uh, stuff that inspires them. And I think uh, if you're, if you're trying to create better content on Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram, just start following a lot of really good creators, brands that do stuff that you love and save that content. And then just try to reverse engineer it. Why did it work? Why is it good? How can we do our version of it? That's what we teach our clients to do. And I think it's um, the number one thing that a lot of people just don't do. They don't take the time to create a, you know, a bookmarks option or a list or a folder on their phone or whatever it is. Uh, there's a lot of easy ways to do it. Um, and I think it's something that pays dividends uh, for a long time if you do it consistently. That's a great tip. That was, that's really, really good. Thank you, Jason. That's excellent advice. Lastly, if you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be and why? I think I might have said uh, Barack Obama Previously, I'm I not sure. I think that's correct. We'll check the which database, is, but I'm pretty sure which that's is true. Tempting, but I'm going to go with um, Donald Glover, who is, um, I, I believe, probably the single most concentrated talent. <laughs> he has so much talent in one human. I don't know if it exists in any other human like that. He's a actor and singing, you know, childish Gambino, uh, producer, writer, director, everything that you can be. He's done, and he somehow does it all at once, which I don't understand. He drops an album and a TV show and is in a movie in the same week. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I would love to know the secret of that if there is. A- yeah. He, he is the ultimate modern multi hyphenate, uh, individual. And it, what I always think about somebody like that, who is so wildly successful is that he has to be working his butt <laughs> off to yeah. be doing all those things simultaneously yeah. to which I think, wow, what drives you after already hitting that level of success to continue to work that hard? It, yeah. It's really interesting. So let's do it. Let's get him on a video call. Let's get Donald Glover to speak of Social Fresh. We can make that yeah. happen. Sounds easy. Adam, put your best people on that. 
Salesforce can make it happen. They know everybody. There you go. You heard it here first. Promises yep. made. Yep, done. We're recording this. You've heard it, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget, June 16th to 18th, virtual Social Fresh. Go to socialfresh.com slash pro to find out how you can be part of it. I think you should absolutely do that. As I mentioned at the outset of this show, it's basically the conference version of this podcast. So if you like this podcast, and hopefully you do, um, then you'll like the conference as well. Jason, thanks so much for being here. Congratulations on the successful pivot to, to virtual, as the kids say. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll see you down there, certainly on uh, June 16th. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Adam. Always great to be on the Social Pros Podcast. Appreciate you, buddy. Take care. He is Jason Keith from Social Fresh. He is Adam Brown from Salesforce. I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. This is hopefully your favorite podcast in the whole world. We'll see you next week here on Social Pros. Social Pros.